0: I'm not going to dance with my princess By the light of a magical moon I'm not going to dance with my princess By the light of a magical moon Along my way, I say hey hey. As I go along my way, I say hey hey. I'm not gonna talk with the elders until all of our hearts that is good I'll barefoot dance my baby, by the light of a magical moon, as I go along my way, I say, hey, hey, as I go along my way, I say, hey, hey. Baby, baby By the light of a magical moon Go to 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 dance My baby By the light of a magical moon When I slay the darkest night And then we can fly Till that deep and joyous time we're dancing bright.
1: You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Sophie Goldstein, and her newest book, which came out at SPX last September, the Small Press Expo, um, is House of Women Book Two. And this is uh, ongoing work that Sophie's been doing with the first one coming up before that. And I think you said the third one will be out by time of SPX this year.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: And then your other main book is uh, The Oven from uh, Ad House Comics, as well as folks can find a um, whole plethora of comics on our website, uh, redink.com. Is that it? Redink.com?
2: Redinc Radio.
1: Redink Radio. <laughs> Thanks, Sophie, for joining me today. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed your work. Um, and so there's, like, a lot of different stuff that I was, like, going through and making little notes, um, and it's really interesting how you're kind of touching on all sorts of different kind of thematic areas, and it seems, um, House of Women that you are really, like, you're kind of starting somewhere, looking at this, like, weird pseudo-colonial, um, matriarchical concept and kind of just having a lot of stuff popping out of it. Uh Um, And so I'm just interested if, like, before we start, you said that's kind of like the main brunt of your work that you're working on right now, and so like what do you see about this kind of longer story um, that's kind of sticking out for you and some of these ideas you're running through with it?
2: Huh. Well, you know, it's funny to talk about um, stories on a thematic level, because as a reader, that's definitely something that I think about a lot when I'm, when I'm reading books um, and, you know, enjoying them and thinking about, like, you know, putting together, like, what, it, what is the statement of this book, like, what is the perspective of the author, and, like, all this sort of stuff that I'm thinking about, but when it comes to actually making comics... Um, I don't really approach it from a thematic uh, level. I mean, I kind of, I've learned a little bit to try and have faith um, in myself as a storyteller that that stuff will be there without me working at it. So mostly I focus on character and plot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And usually for a story, when I get started the story, there's some sort of like, it's some hook for me that I'm like, oh, that's really cool. This makes me, like, really excited about this story. Um, and for House of Women, it was... Uh, so, I had watched this film uh, when I was at CCS uh, called Black Narcissus. Um, have you seen Black Narcissus? Is that the Brazilian film? No, oh, it's okay. a Pressburger-Powell film. It's from 1947. Oh, okay. Um, And it's this, like, very luxurious, technicolor, like, crazy, over-the-top movie about these nuns that go to the Himalayan mountains to start a school. And, uh, and like, there's, and so I watched this movie, and there's a lot of, like, it was just, like, really great. And I was like, ah, this is, the thing that I loved about it, it was just, like, these, like, sex-crazed nuns. (laughs) And, uh, and, it, and it ends up going in, like, a very um, kind of unexpected, dramatic, and violent direction. And, uh, and I thought that that was, that I was really excited by that idea. So um, I took the kind of, like, the bare bones of that movie, and then I recast it in a science fiction setting. Because, like, I do science fiction, and that would seem like the natural thing to do. And once I put in science fiction setting, like instantly, a lot of things just changed just from like you know thinking about like who the aliens are and how that works and things like that and so the story, of course, like you know because I'm not like reproducing the movie, took a very different direction mm-hmm. um but just thinking through like the the arc of the characters and um the kind of the kind of structure of of mopu uh the plant- so it's set on the planet mopu and in- and actually, in the movie, it takes place in a place called Mopu, so I just kept the name but um but, yeah, but thinking through like that sort of stuff, uh that was the part that I was really focused on, and then, so you know, I'm not surprised when people tell me like some of the themes they see in my work because like I've heard these things before, apparently, I have like the same concerns with most of my stuff, I don't know. Um uh so but I yeah so to, long story short it's not something I really think about that much in the process of writing.
1: Mhm. Well I definitely see like as as you mentioned people notice there are definite ideas and concepts that bounce from work to work. Um and I think that, that that's really interesting as far as like um using these shorter works to kind of work out some of these ideas that kind of maybe feed a longer work. Do you see that at all or
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean I think short stories are great exercises for telling longer stories just in the sense of kind of like you know just getting down the mechanics of storytelling and then um certain things will pop up certain kind of themes and things will pop up in other stories. Um, In terms of my shorter work, like with the I did a couple of short stories that were set in this kind of like, you know, retro sci fi 1950s era thing um, where everybody's wearing these like little little cute outfits and bubble helmets and like, you know, like Archie in the future type thing. Um, And that was really fun to draw. But I think, like, after doing a couple stories with that, when it came, one of the things that really, like, when I was thinking about how House of Women would look, I was like, you know, 1950s is cool, but what if I went to the 1800s? (laughs) I like that. uh, Yeah, it was actually, like, that is probably the thing that's been, that's kept me going throughout, like, because I've picked up this project and put it down for other things which is why it's taken um you know I started in 2013 and I'm going to be finishing it in 2016 um but kind of like being able to go back and look at my visual inspiration for the book has really kept my energy levels up for for completing it
1: yeah um one of the things I was thinking about because you mentioned you do sci-fi work and I almost feel like that's kind of a disservice because your usage of sci-fi, I find really fantasy. Uh, I'm really fascinated with because it's like the the sci-fi um, is almost a tool to allow you to really fully explore ideas within your work, than necessarily making it a crutch of um, putting it somewhere. Does that does that kind of resonate?
2: I feel like what I'm getting from from you saying that is that you're not a huge fan of science fiction. No,
1: I love lots of sci-fi stuff actually. Um, um,
2: Cause there is a lot of like really smart um, kind of sociological because there's, you know, there's like hard sci-fi, which is focuses on the technology and technology's effect on
0: mm-hmm.
2: kind of like large scale culture and uh, nation states and that sort of thing. And then of course there's uh speculative fiction um which tends to focus more on like the it's uh technology's effect on psycho psychological mm-hmm. spaces and sociological relationships and that sort of thing and that's like speculative fiction is much more what i'm about like i don't really care whether the science works yeah um that doesn't that's just and i think that's obvious if you read my books <laughs> uh, but like um, one person who I... I didn't get into until pretty recently was Octavia Butler. Okay. Have you... Uh, so she wrote the Lilith Brood trilogy. I have um, She's really interesting. So um, she... The Lillis Brood t- trilogy is the series of books where these aliens... Um, c- like, Earth has been decimated um, through human activity, and the human race is, like, in a lot of trouble... And so these aliens come in and they scoop up the survivors and then kind of make a deal with them. It's like either you can interbreed with us, these like really weird looking non humanoid aliens, or we will render you like sterile and return you to Earth to live out the rest of your lifespan. But the human race, as you know it, is just not going to continue.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and it's and she so that's like a really it's like almost like anthropological science fiction. Cause she has like these very complex alien societies, um, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Like you know, I've been reading science fiction for many, many years, and I'm still discovering new authors who are just like so smart and interesting. And I'm always being like, ah, oh, I wish I thought of that idea. That's brilliant.
1: Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a very wide birth as far as like a genre identification i guess
2: yeah yeah i mean i think it is it is pretty broad and and also i don't know like i think there's some murkiness between science fiction and fantasy Mm -hmm. as well because you can have like some some science fiction gets towards like almost magical realism territory yeah you know, and then at that point, and when it's, like, when you have science fiction that's, like, really, really not about the science, like, they don't even make a cursory attempt towards explaining the science. It's, like, well, that's almost, like, a whole other genre in of itself, but, um, I don't know. I'm, like, very happy to categorize myself as science fiction mm-hmm. um, and not do the whole, like, uh... Margaret Atwood thing of like deny you know mean like no 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 I <laughs>
1: there's no high horse to ride on
2: not when you're in comics <laughs> <laughs> I mean already on the tiny pony there's no point, like having errors
1: <laughs> I like that um, well one of the things that's this is really striking with your work it's it's really it's it's about for me. What I get out is just how people interact and how relationships form and dissolve, and how we kind of deal with each other. Um, which, which is really like the, the part that I'm really, I'm really digging into. I mean, there's a lot I'm digging into, but that's the part that really sticks out to me is this kind of observation of people.
2: Are you thinking about the oven in particular? I think about, well, there's the
1: oven, and there's a lot of the short stuff I read, Um, and even there's, like, relationships within um, the House of Women that are kind of developing or kind of cursory, Um, and that's kind of more of a weird angle in there, too, maybe. I don't know. Um, Is that something of interest to you, seeing how people interact and kind of documenting it in a way?
2: yeah i would I would definitely say so. i mean, I don't think well, I guess it would be silly to say that you can't have a story without relationships because there totally are those kinds of stories but um but like especially when you're doing something that's in a um non realistic setting like science fiction or fantasy or magical realism or anything mm-hmm. i mean you're still you want something for the reader you know, you're not going to get so far away from the world that we know that the reader can't, doesn't find anything to identify with or recognize. Um, And that's definitely not some, that's not interesting as a writer, because I think like, you know, when you're making these stories, I guess I'm going to use the broad you instead of I. (laughs) Uh, When you're making these stories, you're, you know, you're, I think on a certain level, even if you're not doing consciously, you're kind of processing your own experiences and it becomes kind of a way to like work through stuff in your own work. Um, and I think, you know, like most of that stuff for me is, is relationships and people and like, you know, trying to create these, you know, I'm trying to create connections with people or failing to create connections with people and, uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's funny when you're talking earlier about these thematic things. Uh, you know, one of the funny side effects of like of people reading my work and like talking and then the, uh, writing reviews or telling or telling me directly about like these themes that they see is like sometimes it's almost like like I'm having these public therapy sessions. <laughs> and they're like, you know, this story is very concerned with like issues of motherhood and abandonment, and I'm like, oh, really? Is that what it's about? You know, I just, like, it's just so bizarre, but I, I feel like I kind of get a lot out of reading reviews of my own work because it's, like, in a weird way they're, like, telling me about myself because in ways that I can't see. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's, like, a really weird way to approach reading reviews and probably, like, putting way too much weight on it.
1: Well, maybe there's, like, a traditionalist in your work that folks aren't expecting. Like not a Um, for not a forced tradition, Uh, but like, but there isn't. I don't know why I'm saying that because it isn't in your work so much. Like the oven, kind of follows some ideas. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying right now, Sophie.
2: (laughs) Well, I do like think of myself as a traditionalist in terms of uh, more in terms of like structure. Mm -hmm. And storytelling. Uh, I'm definitely not like a formalist, experimental uh, type artist or writer. And, I mean, I definitely, when I started, when I went to CCS, um, that seemed like, you know, that's what all the cool kids were doing was uh, formal experimentation and, you know, like uh, disrupting comics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, of course, you know, like... I'm a human being, so of course, I wanted to be a cool kid um but I think the more I made comics, that I realized that just like you know I, that would never be that would never be it for me. That was never going to be something that i excel- excelled at, so um I pretty much stuck to very traditional models of storytelling where you have a beginning and a middle and an end, and they come yeah. in a certain order.
1: <laughs> I remember. Um, Kim Dype said something to my friend uh, who's working on a little too experimental and he, he, he just a really simple reply was just like just work until in a good yard man <laughs> um, which I mean really when you're doing comics that is one of the things like I do enjoy a lot of formalist weirdo work but also uh, there's a certain challenge where if like you're so off base with telling a story what are you doing with with comics then? why do you need it to be a comic in a way
2: well i think people can have different goals with comics um and some people for some people that goal is to like to always be doing something different and to be pushing themselves as an artist and i think a lot of people that are formalists tend to be You know, because cartoonists, by their very nature, were like writers slash artists, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And some people are more artists slash writers. Um, And I think that those are the kinds of people that tend to be drawn into formalist experimentation more so than the uh, writer slash artists.
1: Now, how long ago did you go to CCS?
2: I graduated in two thousand thirteen. Oh, okay, uh,
1: what was the choice of wanting to go there for yourself?
2: Um. Well, I uh, so I I had been out of college for a bit, and I had started. Uh, I took some continuing education courses at the Center of Visual, the School of Visual Arts in New York. Okay. And uh, and I had the great good fortune to be. Ha- to be taught in turn by Tom Hart and then by Matt Madden. Oh, nice. Yeah, which, of, you know, of course I had no idea who they were at the time. Um, but uh, they were really, you know, they're great teachers, um, famously great teachers. And, uh, and it was a really great learning experience. And then after that, I started a webcomic with a friend of mine um, called Darwin Carmichael's Going to Hell. And after doing that for a few years and being, like, really bored of being an office drone, um, I decided... And then there were some other events between then. But it, it seemed like a good time to kind of, like, get serious about comics. And uh, I guess because, like... Because of the kind of person I am, being serious about comics meant going to grad school for comics. <laughs> um so and so that's what I did, and I just like you know I left New York never to return, and I uh, moved to Vermont and I started school and and basically it's been like all comics all the time ever since. That's all right. Yeah. No, I, I mean it's it's great. Yeah.
1: What do you see uh, going to school there? Uh, how it. Do you see ways that it improved your work, helped your work, improved you as an artist? Um, And that doesn't even necessarily need to be visually speaking, but writing speaking, uh, like how you process work.
2: Yeah, I I definitely think that it made me a better artist. And not, part of it's just the acceleration of um, focusing on something for two years. Yeah. Um, And that's like a definite part of it but uh, I think the larger part was just kind of like you know before I had been kind of in the web comics environment and I didn't really know that many other cartoonists and and so I was going from web comics thing into this uh, into an environment of you know where people were I mean my the people who teach at CCS are very well versed in like the history of comics and there is the schultz library which had just like tons of stuff more than i can ever read in like years of if i had been there for 10 years Mm -hmm. Um, and uh in addition it had my classmates and all of these like influences and seeing everybody else's work and just being around people who are like who are good at comics kind of in a bit Well, a lot of it was just it kicked in my competitiveness kicked in yeah um And I would approach every assignment with the, like, I'm going to win this. (laughs) I mean, there's not even grades. Like, so there's, like, literally no way to win at all or to judge myself win. But that didn't, it didn't matter. I just wanted to, like, I wanted to feel that I had produced, like, the best of any given assignment. um, Which may be, like, a slightly psychopathic way to approach your life. (laughs) But did make me, uh did make me get better a lot faster.
1: Yeah. Now there's something, like, for me, I've found, I've seen other folks where, like, if you kind of embrace, okay, I'm in school, and they really force you. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily CCS, but I've seen other folks in art school where it's just you have to be producing if you want to do well and really do stuff.
2: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, the whole, like, um, productivity thing is really, at CCS, there's this, like, very, very big pressure to really be putting out a ton of pages and, like, be excelling um, on on that. Like, there's, you know, there's multiple levels at which you can excel, um, but that is definitely one that, you know, like, it's hard to, like, really judge art. But you can judge page count pretty easily, right? (laughs) I Um, guess. Yeah, so... And that that was, like, not something that I got as into. um, But I remember some of the other students, uh, like, in the year below me, were... They were just... It was just, like, constant dick measuring contest.
1: That's... Yeah. And that's not... Good, because if you're more focused on how many pages you're doing, unless you're (laughs) Boulay, you know, you gotta, like, there's that balance of being productive, but also, like, not just churning out garbage.
2: Yeah, but it's, like, so hard to tell about your own work. Yeah. You know, and, and just being able to say that you've produced X number of pages... At least that's something to hold on to, whereas, like, the quality of those pages, uh, that's anyone's guess.
1: Yeah. I guess there's also, like, I'm figuring the folks, law students were, like, a couple years younger, and they had that kind of keen enthusiasm of proving themselves.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I. I each class has a kind of different personality to it, and that was, like, part of that class's thing was this like competitive like page count yeah. thing it's a very boy heavy class <laughs> um, nope. my, my class was like a little bit little bit less about the page count um, and I try not to be obsessed about page count but just just today I was just like lamenting the prospect of not having produced enough pages at the end of the year. And it's, you know, it's April. And I'm just like, what if I only produce 66 pages this year? My life is basically over.
1: (laughs) Um, well, you'd be good for the French market.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I feel like if I people raised in that kind of like publishing environment just like they must like themselves so much more
1: <laughs> it's funny some people like I know I have friends of varying uh, speed on their work and the ones I know that like are more focused on their on their pages than necessarily that aren't doing more than 100 a year um, they're a lot happier it seems with their work or not happier. I don't know. It's it's
2: And that's the cutoff point is like a hundred pages.
1: Well I mean if you're producing more than a hundred pages you're real quick nowadays. It seems like a lot of people really slowed down except for Dash uh, Shaw. Yeah pretty, really quick.
2: I um I have a little on my phone. I have one of like uh a note page that's just like how many pages I produce per year. And uh and I'm still not over the fact that, like, last year I produced, like, 96 pages, but the year before that I did 124, and I was just like, what is happening?
1: <laughs> well, you're probably approach- approaching your pages different, too, with, over time, like, you develop a certain style, a certain way of how you want to do it, um, I'm presuming maybe taking less chances with the pages,
2: yeah, I it you know maybe it sometimes it can make a big difference. It just like, um, I've had little I've had kind of more dashed off mini. I had a mini comic the year the one the year that I had twenty four pages. I had a twenty page mini comic that had like four panels per page, and the the art was like su- like purposely like super simple. Yeah. Um, so, and it just you know it was just like a breeze to do. So I guess the answer is cheat
1: (laughs) do you find like i mean looking at what you're doing you you don't want to do stuff like that like it's more you're focused on doing your particular work or is it just right now you feel like you need to finish house of women
2: um i definitely feel like i need to finish house of women um and i i mean it's it's not that i'm like oh i'm so sick of house of women it's just you know, I've been working on it for a long time, and um, and I have a lot of things that I want to do, and I'm very excited to get to the next thing. Um, yeah, but it is like House of Women more so. Like if you compare the art with of the oven with House of Women, I think to me it seems like a pretty big difference. Um, I know for people who aren't the artist, it can be harder to see like major differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, House of Women is inked with a brush, and um, just that different, that soul difference is responsible for, like, many, many, many more hours of work.
0: Yeah.
1: I also notice um, one of the fascinating things is seeing someone who's still in their first couple of books is also, like, a stylistic jump between the first and the second book. Like, I see mm-hmm. a little more, like, I don't say flair- uh, but definitely like doing
2: some more intricities in the work. Between part one and part two? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that my uh, drawing has gotten better between part one and part two. Um, but inversely, I'm also in the position of hoping it's not too different because I don't want to have to redraw anything when it gets.
1: <laughs> no, no, but I mean, it's. <laughs> Part of it is also there. There's a lot of time that passes between the two books, maybe two, and how you're kind of doing different. It's not even that different. There's <laughs> um, just little things I noticed, um, which you kind of notice when you sit down with like everyone's stuff at once.
2: Oh sure, yeah, um, yeah. Part Part Two is like a tough one because. Well, it's the middle of a story, so, you know, that's the hardest part is to, like, figure out how to make the the middle parts um, really compelling. But, uh, you know, visually coming back to it. And then um, in part one, I was looking at a lot more European art. And then when it came around to part two, I was kind of, you know, like the European art that I was looking at, um, like the Art Nouveau influences... So those, in turn, were influenced by the importation of Japanese prints. And uh, so instead of just looking at the Europeans who were inspired by Japanese prints, I decided to actually, you know, like, look at the Japanese prints that inspired them. Yeah. And uh, and that definitely, like, helped me, I feel like, push it even more. And in part three, um, I think, like, even, even more so because I was trying to, you know, at some points I was like, taking, like, panels were modeled after specific, um, paintings and stuff, and, uh, and doing that really helps me kind of push my, because, because, you know, like, it's, um, it's uncomfortable to do something really different, but when you are kind of, like, doing an homage to something, you're forcing yourself to be different.
1: Now, when you're doing something like that, um, linking it to another painting, um, is it something from that particular reference work that you're trying to evoke within what you're doing there?
2: Um, well, so the the things that I'm referencing are usually like single shot images. Mm-hmm. So uh, just you know, like like courtesans bathing, like that sort of thing, and or uh, or some there's some Beardsley stuff or Klimt or things like that. So it's not really like I don't have to I don't think people have to like be able to in fact I think it would actually be a bad thing if people could look at it and then immediately get what I was referencing because it would take them out of the story mm-hmm. um, but those references have an emotion that I think I, that's the, emo- the, the emotion that they convey is part of what I'm trying to capture
1: um now, with the third part you're working on now, um, how? Because you posted an image recently of some reference works, and you just talked about how the images. What are some written, some book books that are also uh, influencing you on this? Because I saw this like stack you posted, and you mentioned Beardsley. Um, yeah. Well, those were um, those are all
2: uh, collections of. Art.
1: Okay.
2: Um. Yeah. Not so much uh, novels or anything like that. I did read the novel Black Narcissus that the movie uh, is based on, but I can't really say that I got too much more out of the book than was already in the like, you know, wonderful movie adaptation.
1: So the Black Narcissus was that something you watched in uh, Bisset's movie nights?
2: Williams. no I mean it, it definitely... sorry No, go ahead um, um no, although it, I definitely feel that it could be something <laughs> that he would show um and I think he has shown it since uh since I've left the school uh but it was actually um, a friend of mine who's uh at, who's also a cartoonist she's in the year above me um honorado and she's just like guys guys you have to see this movie it's totally batshit um and so we all sat down and watched this and i was just like i was just like so i was so into this i don't know but it's funny because i've shown it to other people and like you know it's hard to you know some people are just like yeah that's cool and some people really get it and it's just one of those things where it either clicks with you psychologically or it doesn't mm-hmm. um it definitely has this kind of extreme um emotion to it uh that's like you know where the performances are so pushed in some areas and the movie just takes this like really unexpected turn in the last act and uh it's it's great it's a really I cannot recommend this movie enough
1: I will check it out. I've heard the name before. I thought it was something else. Um, it's funny, like, some folks really you think you'd connect on a movie. I tried showing a friend uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and she was just like, did not get it at all. It was just angry. <laughs> and I think it's an amazing fucked up movie. Um, this is so berserk. Uh, it's funny, this
2: movie- but it's funny because movies like that are the ones you really want to show people, you know, movies that maybe like aren't objectively the best movie ever made, but you really connect with them and then you want the person you're showing it, them, it to to like really connect with it. Um, but it's such a personal kind of thing that it's, you know, it's like showing someone your favorite song, like it could mean nothing to them. It's just a bunch of notes.
1: Yeah. No, exactly, and and that was that point. It was like two hours of just people yelling at each other. She did not get it. Her loss. Um, no, did you do the first part as your final CCS project?
2: Yeah, that was my thesis project.
1: Okay, that's a pretty solid thesis project, I gotta say. Um, did you think at that point that there was going to be that much to the story to keep going?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it would be three parts. Um, there was a, a a time when I thought maybe I could squeeze it into two parts. Um, and then when I got down to writing it, and uh, and it just kept stretching, and I just, you know, I had to be like, all right, it's going to be three parts. I'm going to have to die cut that many more covers. Oh, Jesus. And that's just the way it's yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, I think you I mentioned that in an email. You're like, you'd send me a copy, but it's a lot of work.
2: Yeah, um, it's tough because I think that the construction of the, of the book, I, I think that the, having, yeah, the fancy cover is pretty much a major um, selling point for the book for a lot of people. And it, I, I mean, I, it definitely is something that brings people over and makes them pick up the book. Uh, and as I think a lot of people who sell at conventions on a regular basis will agree like having someone physically handle the book is puts you that much closer to a sale mm-hmm. um, so anything that can get that per- people to like actually I know someone and I don't like particularly respect the sales tactic but who will like pick up their books and then, and then like force them into the hands of people standing there oh yeah uh that's i i i really like the whole hard sell thing um i am really not all, not about that at all um and when i go around convention floors and people like try to hard sell to me i always find it like repugnant
1: yeah i'm not gonna argue with you i usually like when i get too hard a to sell it scares me away um I'm sorry, folks, but it's like <laughs> I don't know. It's just I'll be I get excited by work, and if someone's like really pushing it too hard, I don't know. It distracts from it for me. And,
2: yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. And it's also tough at a time now because like, um, you've been to SPX a bunch of times now. It's getting pretty mm-hmm. big, and so it's tough. Like, um. Uh, that, to me that, that's probably one of your like, your primary avenues for promoting your work
2: um, yeah, I would definitely say SBX is a pretty big show for me mm-hmm. uh, it, I mean obviously, like winning a couple Ignats helps a lot <laughs> in that market. <laughs> Um, not so much in other markets I found. Um, when I post a little sign next to my book at other shows being like, This book has won two Ignatz Awards, people are like, What's an Ignatz award? It's a brick! Why would you want that? <laughs> yeah, so um not very impressive outside of the very specialized uh SBX circle.
1: You got the Ignatz for the first hustle women. What was the second one for?
2: Um, the second one, I guess, uh the oven. Won uh, best comic and, uh, or I'm sorry, outstanding uh, comic and outstanding graphic novel.
1: Oh, okay, uh, so that won... last year. Okay, so you won two awards for um, for the oven.
2: Yeah, two awards.
1: Okay, I, I somehow thought it was the the House the Women won one award um yeah so do you like how many shows do you try to do a
2: year uh last year um i I was i was promoting the oven so i set out to do a lot of shows and i succeeded (laughs) i did 10 shows oh wow um yeah that was that was a lot uh or was it nine? Yeah, it was nine because I had to cancel one at the last minute, which is not something I ever wanted to do or ever want to do again. Um, and then this year, I think I'll probably end up doing about seven. Uh, not because I'm like trying to be more reasonable about it, but just because like some friends inconveniently scheduled their weddings to com- conflict.
1: <laughs> Jerks.
2: I know. Oh, and Pix and Mocha are the same weekend, this past weekend, so that blew. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, That's happening more and more. It's tough because there's so many shows now. It's getting to the point where there's no free weekends. Um.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know everybody's doing the best they can, and uh, probably there's... For most people, there's not a huge lot of overlap between like the Pittsburgh Indie Comic Show and Moca, um, but I'm in that that I'm in the middle of that weird Venn diagram. Because <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's in Vancouver. We have our show here in May, and it's also the same weekend as Line Works in Portland. Oh. And- so that's just that's what's happening now. It's like, unfortunately, it's there because every major city now has a comic show. Almost there's only so many weekends in the year.
2: Yeah, it's probably for the best ultimately because um, there's just so many there's so many creators and um, and it's in more and more of these shows are turning into juried shows and. Um, while that's great for some people, I think that it means a lot of people don't get to do, don't get to show their work as much. So having more shows and kind of spreading people out a bit mm-hmm. maybe means it's better for people who want, that. you know, I'm not sure about my logic thread on this one.
1: Um, how have, like, you did nine shows last year. Um, what, like, it's got to be tough and expensive, and you find doing doing shows, keeping a presence at these helps um, keep the momentum going and keep people interested in the work and able to sell enough work.
2: Um. Yeah. Well, I, I shows at this point have become uh, more profitable ventures than when I started doing shows.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um. So it's not. I mean, I'm not like walking away like with giant wads of 20s in my pockets but um but I do make back at least my expenses and in some some of the shows that I've been doing a bit longer I'll make back you know a decent amount of money and uh and at this point I don't really I'm not going to plan on doing a show where I think that I'm not going to at least have the chance of breaking even yeah um, and the the, ch- the point for me that I really switched over is just when I started having, like, book-sized things on my table. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have the book of my webcomic, the collected book of my webcomic, and I have the oven, and um, House of Women is $20. So even though it's a webcomic, it, like, you know, it has, like, a book price.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it's, like, 60
1: or 70 pages, pages right?
2: Yeah, it's um, well, it's fifty six pages, and then part two is fifty eight pages, and okay. part three will be sixty six pages. Um, so I mean, that's not super long, but uh, but to get with the handmade aspect, I haven't really gotten people fighting back about the twenty dollar price point. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't want to have fights in the convention floor.
2: No, no, and you sometimes, because uh, I've been making them for so long, so people don't even, like, really see anymore that they're handmade. They're like, oh, where'd you get this printed? And they're like, well, actually, you know, I hand bind those, and I do the die cuts myself, and they're like, no!
1: <laughs> do what? you, is the, what's the binding like on it?
2: Um, So it's stack bound with staples, and then I do a hide-the-hardware with a glued on spine.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah. That's a lot of work, it sounds like.
2: It is. I mean, you know, it's not like uh stitching a book together, which I think is insane.
1: Yeah, with the sewing machine.
2: Yeah, or even um, you know, like I for I forget the the actual term for it, but um uh, when in uh, at CCS, we learned a lot of different bookbinding techniques, and a number of them involve like needle and thread, and like punching like little holes and doing these like ornate patterns, and and that just seemed insane to me.
1: Yeah. Uh well, everyone's got their favorite, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've also never had a truck with screen printing, so there you go.
1: Do you try the Ristographs?
2: Uh no, I mean I don't really have access to one. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess, you know, if I did I would I would maybe give it a shot, but um I I don't know. Yeah, I despite like House of Women being uh kind of a complex object, I don't really think like fancy bookmaking is uh one of my primary interests as a cartoonist.
1: You just find it's this this one book especially that the design complements the work?
2: Yeah, I think uh, House of Women in a way lends itself much more to being an aesthetic object Mm -hmm. um, than uh, some of my other stories. Uh, I mean, like The Oven, I think, is much more of a stripped-down, bare-bones story, and I'm really gratified that people like the art, but... um, but I don't think it's like... It's not ornate. It's very minimalist.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Sophie, for joining me today to talk about The House of Women in The Oven. And Thanks so stuff. much for having me. Uh, reminder, folks, you can check out Sophie's work at uh, redink.com and um, you can find The Oven in better comic stores. And do you sell copies of... Um, House of Women online, or are you just primarily shows?
2: Um, I do sell them on my Big Cartel page, so that it's uh, bigcartel.redinkradio.com
1: As well as so you're selling off uh, a plethora of pages to the oven right now, too.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah so, you know, check those out, <laughs> please.
1: <laughs> well, I really liked uh, all the works, and I highly suggest folks check it out. Um, yeah thank you so much
2: thank you We're gonna make
3: we